Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming composer Raphael Thibault onto the podcast, who most recently scored the National Geographic Nature docuseries Secrets of the Whales, which is streaming on Disney Plus now. So welcome, Raphael. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I'm great. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, Whereabouts are you? I'm sorry? Whereabouts are you today? I'm in New York. I'm in New York City, uh, Brooklyn, more specifically. I moved here uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Lovely. And how's things there at the moment? I mean, it's been great, but we moved there and then, you know, uh, I had a, I had a baby and then COVID happened. So I can't say that I've been you know, the most out of New York so far, um, but it's great. It's get, It's getting better also. The city is kind of going back to life. So that's, that's amazing. Oh, okay. I'm glad to hear it. And congratulations on your um, baby as well. It must be a very bizarre yeah. time to have a child, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, it was before, so that was fine. It's just like, you know, like the the the, the chronology of facts was a little like, meh, not the best way to, yeah. you know, just, just discover and you see. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha, yeah, totally. Um, obviously, New York is a thriving city. It's just bizarre what's going on in the world at the moment, isn't it? Not being able to experience any of the benefits of being in a place like that. Oh, yeah, that was that was such a weird year. Such a weird year to be in, in New York, yeah. Absolutely. But things are better now. Good. I hope. Good. I'm glad to hear it. We're going in the right direction, aren't we? Exactly. Yeah, it feels like so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is kind of for the benefit of our listeners, obviously, because you know your story very well. But just for a bit of backstory <laughs> on you, you've got this incredible personal connection to music. So when you were a child, you suffered from a series of ear issues that led to single-sided deafness, um, of course. And then when you were four, I saw your doctor recommended that you start intense piano practice. So what do you remember of this time and how did playing the piano help you? So I I remember very little, um, you know, about all of this because I was very, very little. I think it started when I was only a few months old and I started getting all these like repeating, you know, continued infections in my ears that led to, uh, yeah, one, you know, um, one-sided deafness so I couldn't hear from my left ear. And, but again, I don't, I don't remember it. My parents just told me, you know, the story. I just remember all these surgeries, you know, the, the, when, when people would put me to sleep, I have very vivid memories of that, but that's all I remember of that time. Uh, but my parents put me to the piano quite quickly. I was not even four uh, to, because apparently it's a very good instrument to choose when you have, you know, hearing issues, hearing impairment, because it's a soft instrument and you don't have to tune it yourself. So that that's why they picked the piano for me. Um, and then, you know, I I don't think I mean I've always I've always seen classical training and you know performing as a chore <laughs> a little bit because I had to train so for, for for eight hours a day for and you know like and that was throughout my entire childhood because I was in specific schools you know where you study in the morning you know traditional. Uh, stuff like history and and you know literature and then in the afternoon you go and practice your instrument so that was a huge part of my childhood and teens and um, I just remember being a little you know um, like not not really excited about perform the performance aspect of the music Mm -hmm. you know I, I I just know I just knew that I wanted to be by my piano and and play around with it and invent new things and improve improve you know um improvise 
Um, and I really hated the performance aspect of it. And that's why I got kicked out of school at some point, because they said, if you don't want to perform, if you don't want to be a performer, I don't think music is for you. So that's why when I was 18, I stopped. Um, uh, I can't, you know, I, I, I really I stopped music school and then I ended up in in advertising and in, in tech. I was still doing, you know, I was still having my piano with me at all time in all the apartments I've lived in in France. I, I had a piano with me, so I've never really stopped, but um, it was really just for me. I would never put anything out there. And that's, that's how it really started for me. And then after, after 13 years in, you know, in advertising and tech, I, I, um, I had a life changing event at Abbey Road Studios in London where I lived uh, uh, then and two weeks after this event, I quit my job and became a full-time composer. So that's the story. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. So what happened at Abbey Road that kind of flipped that switch for you? So it was, it was, um, it was you know, a Google event, like a policy PR private event uh, organized by Google. And I was invited to it. And I was like, I, I'm not sure, another corporate event or whatever. But I, you know, I went. And then I got invited into the, the Studio, two's, Studio 2 mixing room. And this engineer took me through the whole process of recording for a movie. And I remember him showing me those mock-ups of, um, you know, the score to Fury by uh, Stephen Price. And I just remember being in this room with all these, you know, people with champagne and they were not really paying attention to what was going on. And they would just stay maybe two minutes in the mixing room and then leave. I, I spent the entire event, so three hours in this room, you know, just listening to this guy on repeat and crying, literally, because I felt so, you know, um, I felt I, I was so dazed by it. And I was I felt like everything that would happen in this room make, m- would make sense mm. as a position to my life back then and my job. And so I just felt all of a sudden that's that's where I would belong. And and I remember leaving the studios and telling my husband, uh, I am done. This is what I want to do. And this is where I want to be. I'm not sure how this whole, you know, how all the things fit together, but I just know that that's what makes sense to, for me right now. And that's when I, I decided to quit my job at Google. Well, incredible. Quitting a job at Google must be a very <laughs> scary thing to do. Obviously, it's such a it's big company. It's very comfortable. It's really not comfortable because you leave such a, such a, such comfort you know um at so many levels because this is a really comfortable company to work for because you know all the 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 incredibly talented intelligent people that you are surrounded by every day and the exciting job and um and you know the travel the traveling I would travel so much for my job and uh and you know just the just um the comfort of uh, revenue and you know all that stuff and it was it was very very sudden um it was not a mature decision that I you know was thinking you know through for years it was really just all of a sudden I decided that I was done so that it was really uncomfortable you know very uncomfortable for for the first first few months yeah I can only imagine very very brave and I wonder did you were you concerned that after being working in advertising for so long or in marketing sorry that it would be hard to get into music again you know into a job or something after being out of that experience for a little while but I would say that the most difficult part was not even to 
start and learn and practice. It was more this, you know, the 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 way I had to fight the imposter syndrome because you know when you left when you leave an industry like that for like. 13 years and you go back to it you don't feel you belong and 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 because my my journey was so unique and different uh i i sometimes felt that i had to you know prove myself twice harder um because you know i was kind of like the outsider coming in and i didn't have any degree i didn't do any you know i didn't have any master i didn't i was not the assistant of any you know composer I was not working in in a studio so I I felt very much like I had to prove myself Mm. much harder than you know like some other people yeah absolutely a very different journey into it so how did you get back into um writing music then I know you were working at some independent places or for independent films weren't you so how did you get your start in there after this time away working at Google I think a long I think um a big part of the journey at the beginning was practice and you know just learn everything about um, writing uh, you know through, like with digital digital gear you know like digital software it's because I had a classical training so I know a lot about performing reading music um, you know theory and and stuff but I I, I knew very little about the you know um more technical aspect of writing music on computer and and that took a while and i i had i was very lucky to have a wonderful teacher for the first year uh who happens to be um the the assistant of michael price uh in 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 london and um he 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 helped me he helped me he came every week and just you know taught me the basics of working on logic pro and then from then on i really started to just practice endlessly relentlessly and i would never put anything out there that i was not 100% proud of so it took it took a while and and then i got i got lucky also again because um um two agents in the uk believed in me very very early on and they they really um fought for for me and you know found me some great gigs very early on and uh they're still my agents today by the way and they are the people who got me the secrets of the whales gigs so uh i guess the the you know the takeaway is that it's great to have people very early on who believe in you <laughs> Yeah, that's phenomenal to hear that they saw something in you, even if at the time maybe you were thinking about imposter syndrome, that kind of thing, and they, they knew you very, could do it. Yeah, I'm still very in awe, like how could they believe in me so early on? And I'm so grateful. Yeah, exactly. Mm, that's wonderful. And I know you did some trailer house work as well, which led to you getting featured in some major productions like Incredibles 2 and Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. So how did that go? Yes. So that, that was really, that happened by accident. Uh, I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of movies. And so trailers for me, I mean, I've always been fascinated by trailers, you know, always super early in theaters because I don't, I didn't want to miss them. Um, And so I don't know, I think I was naturally attracted to trailers. So I just started to, you know, um, pitch for, uh, for trailers and and it ended up working out and trailers for me have been 
it's a very, very tough, tough uh, layer of the industry uh, because you have to work very fast on uh, extremely, you know, um, rich, heavy tracks. Um, and there, it's a lottery and there's, you know, there's generally there's no demo fee. So it's, it's really, it is a lottery and it's technically very demanding. And um, so I learned so much, um, you know, from the trailer world, technically speaking, and a lot of what I can do today and a lot of uh, I'm able to do today, technically, for example, when it comes to very epic, you know, rich, heavy cues, uh, I I really believe that it's, uh, I, I've learned it from my trailer time. <laughs> and I'm very thankful to have been able to, to, to do that and to go through this path because it was hard, um, but um, I've learned so much, and now I'm I'm kind of more comfortable with mixing and you know with some design and more technical aspect of composing music. So that was to me a, a very good accident. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds it. It's all a learning curve, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Was there something in mind that you had when you were starting to compose or wanting to get into it? Did you think, I'd love to compose something in this kind of genre or this kind of film or maybe TV? Or were you quite open to anything? I was I was really open to anything. I think it was more based on the project. You know, a, a, you know every project is so different. And it, it, I mean, it didn't really matter if it was documentary or short film or or even a commercial or a trailer. It's just that it was more about, and, you know, every single project was, you know, different. And I I was not attracted to, um, you know, a particular format, but I definitely, my core genre is still, you know, neoclassical, dark and thriller-ish kind of music. So I, I really love dark and sad emotional music. That's, that's, that's what I prefer writing because that's what I'm, you know, the most at ease with when it comes to composing. But, um, and I think it comes a lot from my influences, you know, from the classical music of the late post-romantic era, you know, all the uh, composers from the late romantic era, that was definitely a very like good time, if not the birth of cinematic music. And um, so so I think that 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 comes from there, and um, I I'm I'm always a little more attracted to dark um, features because you know because of my core genre. But I am also as you know as much enjoying a doc, doing a documentary than a you know a short film or a trailer. I just I just find everything so interesting, and it really just depends on the stories that are behind them more than the you know the genre Mm, yeah I can understand that and uh, in regards to scoring dark thriller music I wonder if there's something similar you you often hear actors say it's more fun to play the the bad part or to have some fun with a villainous character I wonder if that extends to when you create the music as well creating something for a sinister character or some sinister subject matter Mm -hmm. is there any truth in that yes I think I think there is but you know I also think that sometimes it's it's I mean for example for documentaries you would think that they would be 
you know, very different from a fiction in the sense that it's not as much dramatically structured, you know, uh, the moods change faster. So I was expecting that when I started scoring for Secrets of the Whales, but something really interesting happened. It's that I... Uh, the, the the show is actually very much dramatically structured. There's a lot of stories, you know, around you know little stories, um, um, you know, around those whales, like family stories, you know, tragic s- stories, and it's very much dramatically structured. And th- that was for me unexpected because I-, I related so much more than I thought I would. Um, you know, so that that's I think it really, really depends on how the the film or the series is, you know, structured more than the genre itself, because you can have documentaries that are very dramatically structured and fiction that are more, you know, so realistic and so raw and intimate that it can feel for the composer like a documentary. So, yeah, I, I, I've never found that there was such a you know um uh definite difference between film genres because of that yeah i think you're right with um animal sort of documentaries in particular like secrets of the whales or a david attenborough one i think almost it might give you a really broad scope to play with actually because like you say the the characters in the uh, documentary or characters i'd say the animals or the whatever the subject matter is they are given a sort of character aren't they and almost a storyline and you can play with humor something could be funny something could be tragic something could be dangerous and you can borrow from all these different genres can't you in terms of sound danger and everything so I think um it's reflected really nicely in these types of documentaries actually yeah and and you know this is when um actually temp tracks get very handy you know become very handy because sometimes you know you can you can as a composer you can oh you can you can be kind of like you can be a little worried about having too many temp tracks, you know, temporary tracks on uh, pictures when you get them because you, you, you're you always a little worried that the production and filmmakers are going to be influenced by them a little too much or they're going to stick around too much so people are going to get used to them and then it's hard to top, you know, mm. what people got used to. So, so temp tracks sometimes are tricky, but this time they were actually very useful because... Um, you know, uh, it, 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 it's, there's so many mood changes and as for many wild documentaries, you're completely right. And the mood change is constant and you get from a playful scene to a dramatic, tragic, you know, situation in just five seconds. So knowing exactly what the production had in mind for those moments, uh, felt very necessary to me. Okay, and when with Secrets of the Whales then, so how did you approach this project? Were you given a kind of rough storyline, as it were, by the, um, the the producers, which, by the way, are um, James Cameron, and it's narrated by Sigourney Weaver, isn't it? But um, So were you given a storyline to follow as a rough guide? How did you work out the ebbs and flows of what would happen? Is it episode by episode? How does that work? So, uh, so I was involved right after... Uh, the production w- was done filming um, and I was approached by uh, the production team at Red Rock Film and they um, 
I think they were looking to get multiple composers at the beginning. They wanted one composer per episode, you know, like, so I was just, I was hired at first to write for the first episode only. Um, And then I think they were so happy about what, what they got that they decided to hire me for the whole show. So I was very thrilled about that. Um, And then I, you know, it was one of the most, um, you know, empowering experiences I would say uh that I had so far in my career because um Brian Armstrong so who's a filmmaker uh for the show um only gave me a few you know a few a few lines you know for the brief it was really not much it was really basically we would like something orchestral because you know it's going to be for Disney and we want to to you know something that's traditional a little bit um but that was pretty much it and also that they didn't they didn't want me to overstep the natural sounds of nature of the whales you know the, the, the whale songs um because obviously it takes a lot of room and you don't want to overstep that but it still had to be very epic and you know uh traditional uh so so that that's literally the only thing I got you know, uh, from the start. And I felt incredibly free to come up with my own ideas, come up with my own angles. Um, and, and yeah, so I, so yeah, so I started in March last, last year, um, and I continued throughout the pandemic. So I, I felt really, by the way, incredibly lucky to do so. And there was, this was definitely my COVID project. And, um, I worked episode, uh, you know, one episode at a time throughout I think six months something like that six months yes Mm, okay so it took a little while then and um just thinking back to um the issue with your ears uh with your childhood and thankfully your hearing is perfect today so that's obviously fantastic but um I read in the notes that um it hurts your ears to put your head underwater so that um I'm just curious how this score helped you in some ways access this world that you can't um, maybe experience as much for yourself as you know not saying all of us are going to go and dunk our heads in the ocean obviously but you know it's, <laughs> if it hurts you it's not something you can really try out for yourself I suppose yeah that's actually it's it's very interesting because this is not something I realized right away I just remembered a movie that really marked me when I was a kid and it's um, the big blue Le Grand Bleu it's a French movie uh, from the 80s um, and it's about uh, it's a true story about those divers, you know, who are obsessed with going as deep as they can into the ocean. And the composer for this movie, Eric Serra, by then had uh, ha- he had cre- created those whale sounds uh, with synthesizers, so nothing, nothing like natural, you know, uh, original about those whale sounds but he recreated them to create music out of them and I remember when I was a kid I was maybe I don't know eight when I watched it the first time I remember being fascinated by those sounds and those you know whale songs and but and when I was when I was around eight I I still had you know hearing issues and I remember being scared of the, the 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 of being underwater and still today yeah I cannot go underwater even like by you know five inches because it's it just hurts so I can plunge I can't um I I can't like I cannot even put my you know both my ears 
under the water at the same time because mm-hmm. it kind of gives me anxiety. So it's 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 really it's it's really something that 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 sticks with me. And the consequence for me is that I I would never be able to go, you know, to those places. It, it, it's the, these are places I could never, you know just witness or or these animals for me that would be very difficult to see them in real life so I think that uh, uh, you know maybe not consciously it triggered something in me that just increased my fascination for this universe like you know the whales the you know deep ocean even more than it was already the case for me and but I think it didn't start with secrets of the whales it started when I was a kid so that's and that's not something that I realized right away actually someone made me realize that after I was done with the show so <laughs> I found that really fascinating yeah that's nice really that it's come full circle like that that you were always interested in it and here you are scoring this phenomenal yeah. docu-series um and using the same creative process for these <laughs> whale sounds as well so yeah that the composer did in the 80s <laughs> I know that's absolutely wonderful what a grown-up film for you to watch when you were eight as well may I say I think most people watching The Little Mermaid or something (laughs) yeah I think I was also watching all these movies like Alien for example you know with Sigourney Weaver I watched that was 10 and oh my god my parents would have never allowed it that but I there's a lot there are a lot of movies that I watched uh, when I was a kid that I was not allowed to watch. So, and in the same applied to the the scores, which is really interesting because, you know, for example, I remember when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the score for Basic Instincts. And this is not the kind of movie that you watch when you're a little girl, you know, <laughs> like we're like a seven or eight. And I was, I was listening to the score on repeat. So that's, that it, did, it didn't really, um, it was not just about the movies. It was about, everything around it you know the music the sound aspect of of the films as well Mm, well I'm glad that the music stayed with you from basic instinct and not um, what you saw that's probably good (laughs) (laughs) your parents be horrified (laughs) I don't even know if they're aware I think they're gonna hear that and be like what Oh, they can't turn me off now. It's too late. It's too late. <laughs> That's funny, actually. My parents are very strict of what I could watch. Um, but for some reason, my dad said I could watch Alien again when I was around 10. And obviously, I was completely horrified, but watched the whole thing. It's a brilliant film. But I don't know why he thought that one would be fine, because it wasn't. It really wasn't. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting take. <laughs> very weird. But I like the link back to Sigourney Weaver. She's always been there for us somehow. Oh yeah, she's like, oh, <laughs> she's she's the she's our mom, like like our you know all of us. <laughs> mm. she's, she's looking over all of us in some way. But um, back to um, <laughs> back to secrets of the whales. So I've got some wonderful examples of some of the pieces of music from it. Um, so the first one I'd love to talk about is a summer spectacle. So this is a big sweeping cinematic sound which then sounds a little almost curious and then goes very triumphant a lot of these um pieces of these cues go through different stages which i'm sure if i watched the scene that went with it it would make perfect sense but i'm just curious if you can tell me a bit about which scene this one accompanies and what was happening in it yeah of course so basically um it's it it's it's um you know it's this moment when i think I think it's the the humpbacks and the humpbacks, if I'm not wrong, and it's just at this very quiet moment, you know, you know, just I think it's it's around the cliff and and nothing's much happening. Just the birds are you know flying around, and all of a sudden you have 
these like four or five huge whales going out of the waters. And, and, and so the birds are sensing before they go out of the water, they're sent, they, they sense that something is going to happen that like some show, you know, is going to, is going to, is going to happen in a few seconds. So they're like, you know, waiting for it. And then those big whales go out of the water and it's a slow motion scene in the show. And it's incredibly majestic. And to me, it is the most impressive, majestic images that we have uh in the show um and then you learn that these whales are actually it's a family reunion like it's a friends and family reunion and they're just like hanging out and you know just celebrating the fact that they're together again and to me it resonated so much because at first i had so much freedom in the making of this movie, of, of this music for that specific scene, because there's no narration, and there's like this slow motion that leaves so much room for the music that I could just go rogue, and you know, come up with this big theme and you know, grand uh, music section. Uh, so that's why it's like one of my favorite cues in the show. Okay, well, that makes sense. Um, and when I go to watch it, I can probably appreciate it a lot more. But it's nice to know the story behind it, isn't it? To see your thought process. Yeah. Um, and another one we've got. So this one is The Morning Mother. So this one is completely different sound. And it's quite, um, I thought, almost battle-like at the beginning. And then it gives way to a much more beautiful, emotive spring uh, string piece. Sorry. So um, tell me a bit about this scene and what's going on and how you approach the score for this part. So this scene was very very special uh to me and i think it's the most special um scene and uh score scoring moment that i have working on the show because it's basically an orca mother um that's carrying her dead calf for i don't know for for how long but i I, i've learned after that that orca's mothers carry their dead Uh, babies for Mm. days sometimes for weeks Uh, they just carry them with carry it with them because they're because they can't let go Mm. and this really really shocked me and I was so moved by it and I was myself a young mother by um, back then I had a few months baby at home and it was I just I related so much and I just wanted to, to hug her, you know, to find a way to console her. Uh, I found it inc- incredibly disarming, but at the same time, so beautiful. So that's why this cue is, yeah, very emotional. But at the same time, I think there's, I've tried it. I, I tried to also, uh, you know, create some beauty because it's not just about the sadness of losing a child. It's also the beauty of how, similar these animals can be you know to us like the same they mourn the same way we do as mothers and you know and and I found it incredibly touching and this is basically this is I think my favorite cue uh, in the whole show Mm, I can see why and I remember from a few documentaries that I've seen before is whales and I think elephants and um, (laughs) do mourn almost like humans don't they so it is quite disarming like you say to think that they linger on things in a way that you wouldn't expect an animal to. So I can imagine that this would have been um, quite a nice bit to score, but um, something that you can kind of get to grips with in order to convey some emotion for this bit. Yeah. 
difficult and um and and so incredible at the same time to 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 write yes i it was very twofold <laughs> it was really not it, it was a conflicting emotions but uh, but it that's also i think a prime example of what this show is you know su- successfully achieving is that you know they tell stories about animals that that have by at so many levels are very similar to us and i think for an audience to be touched by those stories and it, it it's just to the best way for me to reach an audience and instead of like you know blaming you know what what we are doing wrong and there's a lot that we are doing wrong as human beings for this planet but there's i think there's the, the way the show is actually using the culture lens you know to make us relate to those animals is brilliant and that's why i think it's 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 very special and different from anything i've saw before mm, absolutely and um another one i'd love to ask you about so the humpback song so mm-hmm. this is another majestic piece of music which then becomes more reflective i felt um so tell me a bit about this one and what's going on in the scene and then how you approached the music for this part So what happens there is yeah it starts with like something majestic because you know it's about humpbacks you know which are huge animals mm-hmm. and very majestic animals but then there is this like humpback that goes deep in the sea and it's it starts to sing and to create this haunting melody you know um it's just a whale doing its song but it's so incredibly you know spiritual and hunting and then and then you know they managed the production team managed to capture this rare behavior where the humpback uses the choral to amplify and broadcast its song and so it's like like going into this you know vertical position and not and it doesn't move and it just used the waters and the choral to 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 yeah have his song travel and and to me of course it resonates so much to me because you know as a musician all you want is your music to reach as much people as you could can and so it's it it was very special and i found it i th- i found it to be another incredible example of how complex you know these animals are um emotionally and in the way they in 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 their habits mm, okay that makes and sense so that's why yeah and so that's why we have this like kind of majestic piece and then after you have this piano that is very um soft and i was trying to find a way to have something that was both traditional and electronic at the same time because i wanted to illustrate you know this traditional thing that we all share you know with these animals the music the language and then also this all this like um you know almost mystical dimension that we can barely reach as humans that is illustrated by electronic elements i see and um so where was this recorded it sounds like a huge orchestra was it a studio was it remote recordings over lockdown done by musicians at home So um uh, the interesting thing about this is that there's not uh one single live player in the score. Oh wow. Uh, <laughs> because I mean apart except for me of course my piano and my voice. Um uh but 
it, it, it was not an option to record like musicians and also you know it all happens like the scoring of the show happened started really at the worst of the pandemic at least in the US uh it started we we started working on the music in March last year and you know we were all like kind of trying to figure out how to keep working and you know without being able to be you know work with people or being in person so that's so that was not an option and um I had to do everything how we say as we say in the box so producing and mi- composing producing and mixing mm-hmm. you know with my computer and my softwares um and that was a big big challenge for me because you know you it, it was both a challenge and 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 um and and very interesting and inspiring creatively because basically I had to work around you know um a lot of things just to make sure that it would sound authentic because for example some melodies or some instrumentation sometimes would not work enough good enough Uh, to my ears so I had to work around them sometimes change the melody just to make sure that I have a melody that could work so my digital instruments you know uh, would feel and sound authentic enough Um, and that was a big part that was a big challenge but at the same time I, I got a lot of freedom out of it because basically I could do you know whatever I wanted and the score is very hybrid it sounds mostly orchestral but actually I actually love I actually use maybe 50% of electronic elements you know to enrich and make up if I may say for the fact that there would be no live player at all so everything has been done on, on logic using my piano um, tons of orchestral and electronic plugins and 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 my voice and I think that this led us to this versatile hybrid score um and i'm i'm i mean it's great that to be able to play around with electronic sounds you know along with orchestral arrangements that that much i think this led us to a versatile hybrid score that we have now and that we are all happy with so at the end it was not that bad (laughs) no not at all i absolutely would have thought this was a full orchestra so i'm just curious what um what were some of the virtual instruments you were using um obviously you don't need to list them all but some that were really key for you in um creating the score digitally for this um series you mean specific like instruments or specific softwares and instruments oh the softwares then Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, wow. I have, I have way too much of them. <laughs> too many. Uh, I, I do, a, I use a lot of Spitfire series. I have, I, I think I have them all, all the series uh, from Spitfire, uh, orchestra tools, strings, um, a lot of cine samples series also for orchestra. And then for all the things that are a little more, you know, uh, hybrid and electronic I would use you know damage keep forest and forzo heavier city for more you know badass lines elect- you know um, hybrid percussions there's a lot of hybrid uh, percussions in in the score um, and then for I mean for the electronic elements I would use a lot of zebra slate and R- ash for the for the rest so there's so many, um, it would be hard for me to list them all. And also I try to diversify, you know, the use I make all, of all these instruments because for the same reason that I don't want it to sound fake, I also don't want to, I want to avoid similarities. So uh, I diversify my the use of instruments a lot, even, f- 
you know, within one single project. But the interesting thing that happened afterwards actually is that um, I kept working on the score and I, I had to write additional music after the show was done because there's going to be um, a live show uh, next year. And I'm so happy about that. There's going to be a live show with a live orchestra. Um, so it's going to be basically a uh, live two pictures show with an orchestra playing at the same time to a big screen. And it's going to be a tour, um, you know, produced by National Geographic. And and so I had to write additional music for that because they created this 90 minutes condensed version of the show for the for the live show. And uh, I had to work a lot on, you know, transitions between tracks, tra transitions between cues, new cues. Um, so I actually worked with uh, my orchestrator, Paul Honey, who's also based in, in the UK, by the way. And um, and we actually worked on live, you know, orchestra scores afterwards. So we really had like the best of both worlds, uh, if I may say, for the project. Wow, incredible! That's going to be a live show or tour of some time, uh, at some kind. Do you know yeah. whereabouts it's going to go? I think it's you know it's very complicated. It's it's really hard to to know for sure with COVID and stuff. But I think it's gonna it's gonna start next year, like early twenty twenty two, hopefully. Oh wow! Will you get to um, go along with it, or you, is your involvement stopping at the composing and sending over the music? I, I probably I, I'll probably you know go to the first ones I don't know just because I want to anyway <laughs> like yeah of I course fly to Australia to be to be you know to to witness this but yeah no for sure I'm gonna be I'm I'm probably gonna be part of it you know for at least for the preps and stuff for the orchestra and I think that this is that's what's so beautiful about Secrets of the Wales is that I feel like this project is never ending and I, I love this Okay, I, I need to watch this now. I've got Disney Plus, so I need to find it oh, on there yeah. and watch it immediately tonight. <laughs> it's beautiful, you'll see. Okay, yeah, I can't wait. Okay, well, um, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been such a pleasure to hear about this wonderful show and I urge all of our listeners to go and watch it and listen to your music in it and see what you've done and I can't wait to see the news about when this Secrets of the Wales tour um, yeah. comes out because what an incredible thing for people to witness. Absolutely. Thank you so so much for having me. It was it was such a um it was such a nice conversation. Thank you so much. Oh good, you're so welcome. Well have a wonderful day and hopefully I will speak to you again sometime. You too, yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye bye. Headliner Radio, supporting the creative community.